Welcome to the Moser on Manufacturing Podcast, brought to you by Jacket Media Co. I'm just wild about Harry, and Harry's wild about me. So, good day, everyone. This is Lou Weiss from Manufacturing Talk Radio, and I'm here with Harry Moser on his uh, podcast, Moser on Manufacturing. Good morning, Harry. <laughs> Hi, Lou. It's always or good. Is, or is it good afternoon? I'm not sure. I'm it's in Florida, so I, yeah, I'm in Florida, so I have sort of Florida brain. <laughs> <laughs> so, Harry, today we're going to be talking about rebuilding and reshoring. You're the you're the number one guy who's been involved in reshoring. Close to five million uh, jobs come back as a result of your. Uh, uh, diligence and your efforts and so on. So you've gotten to be quite... We're we're aiming for 5 million to come back. Uh, Since since we started, reshoring has brought back about 1 million. Ah, thanks for the correction. Okay. Okay, so where are you getting the other 4 million from? Uh, (laughs) By being heard on uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio because it has such a For that, (laughs) you get an extra points towards your yellow jacket (laughs) anyway so how we how are we doing it first we're um educating companies uh, about making we call it uh, educating them to buy smarter to to not just look at the fob price the factory price but instead to consider all the costs and risks relative to uh the part and and when, and when they do that, our our data, the people who've used our TCO estimator, analyzing that data shows that 20 to 30% of what companies are importing, they would bring back if they did the math. So our, our right. first effort, you know, like the politicians are always saying, well, just do the math. You know, you'll see I'm right. <laughs> well, we, we say to the companies, just just do the math. And you'll see that, that the, the decisions you made in the past might have been right at the time. But times have changed. The Chinese uh, labor costs are up five or ten times from where they were 20 years ago. The, um, the the risk of disruption has been proven to be much higher than it used to be. We've seen a series of these catastrophic events that delay product for a couple of months, two three months kind of thing, and 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 there's and hanging over it is the is the possibility of of a Taiwanese kinetic event, as they call it, you know, some kind of a war over Taiwan, which could stop everything coming out of China, Taiwan, and maybe some of the surrounding countries for years before you'd get it back. So, so, so things are different. You may have made the right decision before. I'm not saying you made a mistake. Let's make the right decision now as to what should be done. So on your website, you have a tool. So let's talk about your tool, total cost of, uh, uh, ownership. Yeah, so the the TCO estimator, total cost of ownership, is a you know just to put it in perspective, think think of it like if you're out for your home and you're going to buy a refrigerator. Well, I can buy the cheap one that uses a lot of electricity or the expensive one that uses less electricity and maybe lasts longer. Okay, so so what counts is the annual refrigerating cost in my house you know t- taking the, the the price of of the of the machine and the operating cost and spreading it out over whatever the useful life is that's the total cost 
of ownership for that refrigerator. And for, uh, for when you're buying a forging like you make or machine part or, or, or a complete product of some kind, uh, we say the company should uh, not just look at the uh, FOB price, not just look at the factory price, but but include the obviously the duty and the freight and the carrying cost of inventory because when you when you have once a month deliveries instead of every couple of day deliveries you have more inventory when you have more inventory you've got more money tied up you and if you have more inventory when you change the design you have more obsolescence and scrap to throw away so so, so all these factors like I've just described which uh, costs that that companies typically ignored. And then in addition to those costs, there's the these disruptive factors that I described where, you know, you remember the, the, the old sort of jingle about, you know, for want of a nail, the horseshoe was lost. For want of a horseshoe, the horse was lost. For want of a rider, the battle was lost kind of thing. Huh? And, and so one, it can be that companies are um, saving pennies on getting parts of some kind from by getting them from China or India or somewhere. But as a result of doing that, they're decreasing the probability they'll have all the parts that they need to assemble the product to ship to the customer. So they're, they're saving pennies, but maybe losing hundreds of thousands of dollars because they can't cannot ship to their customer. And so that, that, that philosophy is changing. The companies are getting, getting to understand that, especially in these um, difficult times. So you, the, TO, uh, the, the uh, tool mm -hmm. uh, of ownership is on your website. So do you want to give our listeners the website address? Yeah, I'm willing to do that. The uh, <laughs> reshorenow.org is where it is. And it's also got my, it's got in, info at reshorenow.org. And, and you can find that there and you can email me and say, Harry, we just reshored. Let's celebrate together. Or you can say, Harry, we need help reshoring at our company. Let's say it's an OEM or maybe at our customer's company where we're trying to convince them to give us the business instead of importing. Can you help us do that? And I, I did help. One company came to me like that. They were about to lose a an order uh, to a lower priced Chinese competitor. And I helped them with the TCO. And, and I got a letter later saying that that use of TCO showing the customer the total cost instead of just the price, that doing that was the key to winning a 60, that's six zero million dollar order. Wow, that's impressive. I'd be happy to help you, Lou, <laughs> even you. <laughs> I or, might even cut you in for a piece. <laughs> or or any, any of your listeners out there, if they've got uh, an opportunity, if they've got, let's just say, Let's say they've got a customer that they lost uh, five years ago. And maybe maybe they lost the bulk of the business. They still sell them something. So they're still in touch. They're still friends. They still you know go to lunch, you know, whatever. Yeah. To, to, to go to them and say, are, are you worried? Are you still getting those products from China? Yeah, yeah. Are you worried <laughs> about whether you're going to be able to keep getting it from China? Okay. And, uh, you know, and... And, and bring with you the total cost of ownership analysis as best you can estimate it based on what you think they're paying from China and show the company that when you put all the pieces in, when you do all the math, that, that the company's going to be as well off or better off than continuing to buy from, especially from China. And, and especially from China, if the product is subject to the Section 301 tariffs, 
Now everybody should remember those tariffs that, that Trump put in. And how could we forget? Okay. Well, <laughs> well, well, we can we can debate about this deal in the aluminum, but on the on the on the product coming out of China, the, the, the much of it is subject to a twenty five percent tariff. And when you throw twenty five percent on top of something, like, like if the if the Chinese price is seventy percent of the U.S. price, and that's the that is the average, and you add twenty five percent to seventy, you get to uh, uh, eighty eight or something like that. Okay, and so at, at eighty eight, and then you think about regular duty and freight and carrying cost of inventory and travel and intellectual. It's obvious when you get to, so to, so if so if I were if I were supply chain company out there. I think of everything that I sell that's subject to the Section 301 tariffs and go back to the customers that used to buy them and say, are you having fun, <laughs> fun with that 25% tariff? I, we, you know, let, let's make this work for both of us and for the community and the state and the country, making, making, making our home more stable and more secure, our, our industry, our, our, our military, you know, the country. And, and you know, hope, hopefully those companies, com some of those companies will listen. You know, don't need them all. You just need a million here, a million there. <laughs> uh, two points I'd like to uh, bring up, and one of them, and, and it's sort of relative to what you've been talking about, and that is that many people in this country don't understand about the tariff. They believe that the tariff is being paid for by the Chinese, and that's not true. It's the manufacturer, it's the supplier, it's the distributor in the United States that's paying that 25%. So, and then that stateside company raises its prices, hence partially causing the, the additional uh, effects with regards to inflation. So I think it's important that everyone understand China's paying for nothing. It's you, uh, me, and everybody else. I'll, I'll parse that a little bit. And the, uh, clearly, the, the cash payment for the tariff is done by the, by the U.S. importer, whoever that importer is. Okay? Uh, there was a sur survey done by Coalition for a Prosperous America and by others that looked at the uh, product categories that were um, subject to the tariff and, and did not find any more inflation in those product categories than they did in other product categories that were not subject to the tariff. So, you know, so I, I, be I believe in my experience, I, I imported Swiss machine tools and, and sold them, you know, for 25 years. And when, when the dollar went down and the Swiss product expressed in dollars became more expensive, well, the factory ate half of the difference and we ate half the difference, maybe 40%, 40%, we raised the price by, you know, 20% of the, of the difference or something like that. So, so my, my professional experience says that indeed the, the Chinese companies who are hungry for work, they really love to have that they absorbed some all along the lines. Everybody took a took a licking, and 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 the prices didn't go up as much as as the tariff would suggest. I I would uh, take an uh, argument with that. Not now, but I'd be happy to have this discussion <laughs> offline. 
The other, the other point that I wanted to bring up is uh, we've talked mostly, I think, about manufacturers. Uh, let's talk about the retailer. How, how is uh, this uh, total cost of ownership uh, affecting the uh, retailer? And how is that affecting maybe inflation in the long run? Yeah. Well, the, the tool, the total cost of ownership estimator, is, is well suited to the retailer also, because the retailer eventually is making decisions, should I get that um, you know, cutlery or you know, bowl, yeah. you know, soup? Should, should I get that from someone who makes it here or someone who makes it there, you know, wherever there is? And, and, and apparel especially, and a lot of retail things, were the first things to be offshore. They were offshore before the the molds and the dye, the more complicated technical things went offshore. And 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 the and the the retailer tends to look just at the again at that price. I, I you know you can I can buy that thing over there for whatever and it costs fifty percent more, forty percent more here. Of course I'm gonna get it there. And the question is do they apply the same markups to the FOB price out of China as the FOB price out of Texas, I don't know, um, but they, if they're smart, they look at the data and the data shows that, um, per, that the annual loss to stock outs, meaning I come into the store and I want to buy the product and they don't have it on the shelf because they stocked out and they haven't been able to replenish. So stock outs and due to um, overstocking, I, I had too much of that product and the, the design changed. There was a recall, you know, season change, you know, shut the store down, something happened, and, and you dispose of it, and then they got these mountains of junk that are left over from it. <laughs> and so, so the the sum of those two, stock outs and overstocks, is two hundred and fifty billion dollars per year. And and the reason they have so much of it is because they have to order most of the product six to nine months in advance to right. get it made get it shipped to the port there, get it over here, get it into the distribution center, get it to get it to the store. You know, and, and, and so if they're wrong about the style, the material, the cut, the, you know, how good Christmas is going to be, whatever, then they got this mound. And, if, and whereas if they order it domestically and somebody can replenish in October or November the products that are hot, now now you have a much better fit of demand to supply and you avoid those stock outs and overstocks. So, so uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot the retailer can do. Um, another point uh, regarding the reshoring and bringing jobs back to the United States, uh, this past year, 2022, um, was the biggest year that we've had in increasing uh, employment in the manufacturing sector. I think that we went up to 12,000, I'm sorry, 12,500,000. 12, I think even is, higher. I think it's more like, I think it's higher. I think it's more like 12,8, but so, somewhere around there. Yeah. I won't argue the yeah. point. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it, let's say 12,8. But meanwhile, uh, I read a recent report that states by 2030, which is only seven years from now, our employment, we're going to be minus 3 million workers in manufacturing. <clears throat> so now you're bringing back all this work, all this job. We're not training people correctly. 
We're not sending, they want to all go to college and build up a debt to start their life. Immigration, we don't have an immigration policy. Uh, we should be bringing all the Ukrainians over because they're smart working people uh, to help fill the gap that's coming. It is coming. What's your thought on that? I, I, we could talk for the hour on it, if you like. The, the, <laughs> no yeah. problem. So I'll try and if I miss a topic, you, you remind me. But you mentioned immigration. And I just read an article by a, a top uh, analyst who, who said, yeah, yes, we should do more immigration, but we should be aware that that's a short term solution because the birth rate in most countries is declining. And it's either it's either gotten to where the population is not growing or dropping, or even even in the highest birth rate countries like Africa, the the birth rate, I think it said had fallen from six per woman to four per woman, and and, and expected to continue down as their standard of living improves. And, and therefore, um, to the extent that the US can attract immigrants, the number, even if we had a really good policy, you can't get that many and you're not going to be able to get that many for too many for de decades because they just won't be there you see so 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 immigration is good i i but but for me and but you need two kinds of immigrants you need the toolmaker welder precision machinist engineer right you need those most mostly you need those but i run into lots of people that tell me they need uh, grunts they need bodies, you know, people that are working in a not perfect environment and 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 work really hard, <laughs> harder than most Americans want to work, and, uh, and and that that and they need that more than they need the skilled worker. So so you need you need both types. I I think we should be very rigorous about only letting those in that are legal, clean, not on drugs, have skills. Maybe have enough money or somebody to take care of them until they get their feet on the ground. Right. But but I, I agree. So have a great one. And in terms of um, in terms of domestic source, you know, the, the same article said, well, the real the only real solution is for everybody out there to get at it and have more babies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> in the long run, if you want more population, you have to have more babies. So everybody out there, <laughs> get to it. <laughs> well, then there is also the, the other uh, option, uh, which needs to be expanded, and that's uh, robotics, uh, which is growing. But, you know, it was the Japanese who came up with robotics in the first place because they had to replace a lost generation from the Second World War. Uh, that worked for them well. Uh, so we have to get on that as well. But we don't have a government policy for any of these things. Actually, I continue, frequently read articles from really smart people that talk about taxing the robots because they're going to take all the jobs. <laughs> <laughs> and these are these are PhD economists at famous universities that, that think about these things. It shows you how how cut off from reality they are. You know? So so, uh, so so clear, clearly we need to do much better. You know, we're, every year we we do more. We buy more robots than we did the year before, but right. but the Chinese are buying dramatically more than we are. The the in in China, the number of robots per thousand workers 
is 30, roughly 30% higher than it is in the US. And in, in South Korea, it's maybe two or three times as high. And in Germany, it's higher. So, so this, and I can understand Germany because their wage rates are high like ours. But in, in China, where the wage rates are a third as much as ours, how do they get the ROI on the robot when you're replacing people that make $7 an hour instead of 20 or 25 or $30 an hour? So, so and yet they figure out how to do it probably because they keep the robot working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and, and, and we aren't as good at that. And why are they so busy? Because they're making so many products for us. So when we reshore, or as we reshore, as we continue to reshore, which is will drive up U.S. manufacturing output by 40%, now we can keep the robots busy. And, and a, a busy robot's a happy robot. And the uh, <laughs> and it, it it gets a good return on investment. So so you know one of the difficulties the U.S. has had is that our manufacturing labor productivity has increased less than half a percent per year for the last twelve years, while the Chinese was increasing at about six percent. So so and one reason we haven't done better is because our capacity utilization was around seventy five percent. Okay, and companies tend to invest primarily when capacity utilization gets to 80% or higher. And that's about where we are now. We're right at that, at that threshold where it should be can happen is happening. Because when, when the companies are busy, two things. First, they need capacity. You know, their customers are demanding more, more product. And, and the company said, wow, I, I got to do this or I'm going to lose that customer. Okay, and, and they're making money. So they can afford to pay for the <laughs> the capital equipment to make you know to make it all happen. And so right now is the time. You know, shortage of people uh, at capacity utilization, reshoring brings swaths of work back. You know, it's exactly the time. Everybody out there, get out there and buy a robot, buy a CNC machine tool, and and I I, I believe you'll be glad you did. One of the fun companies that are heavily involved in robotics is a company called Boston Dynamics. And I don't know if you've seen it, but they have a, a, a pod, not a podcast, but a video of these dancing robots. I've seen that. that are absolutely unbelievable. Uh, so if they could do that, they could they can they can replace all our workers <laughs> just not you and me though <laughs> no 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 well, no no robot can do what i do and, and they would probably object to the yellow jacket and tie <laughs> <laughs> let me they mention though going back skilled workforce to me is the number one thing the us has to do better and um, you know and you say well how are we going to do all the reshoring if we don't have enough workers Right. And, and I, what I say is that by by successfully reshoring, by people knowing that reshoring is happening, by the student and the guidance counselor knowing that manufacturing is once again a growth industry in the United States, the student will be told, the parents will believe that going into manufacturing is once again a good career. Because if, if, if you look at at the demographics of it, there's only so many kids graduating from high school this year. What, three million, I don't know what the number is, so for five million, some number. And, and if almost all of them go to university, there's nobody left to go into the apprenticeship. So nobody left to come and work for you until they drop out of the university and need a job, okay? Which so, is a very high percentage. Which is, it is a high percent. But, but specifically, by getting the word out that manufacturing is, it, it, we're not, 
No, we're not losing jobs to China. We're bringing jobs back from China. It's a great career. Why don't you get into it? And it, like, like people believed 60, 70 years ago. Okay. And, and, and what was the basis for the middle class? It was people going into manufacturing jobs. And so getting the word out. I mean, everybody who's listening here, if you've got a, you know, a, a grandchild or, or a child, and, and they're trying to figure out what to do with themselves, that probably the single best thing that almost that two thirds of them could do is get, a, get an apprenticeship in manufacturing, like tool making or welding or precision machining, and do that for the four years, get the company you're working for that will be paying for your associate's degree while you do this, you wind up with an associate's degree and the apprenticeship, and then get the, as, as they stay on with the company after that, get the company to pay for your bachelor's degree in engineering. So now you've got the practical experience of being, say, a toolmaker, and then the, the theory of the engineer, you're, you're going to be the most valuable person in the company. Absolutely. And so it's, it's the obvious thing that most people should do, as opposed to, oh, I, I want to go to university, I'm going to study anthropology or sociology or social work or something like that. And then they get out and there's no jobs because there's three times as many graduates as there are jobs. And then they then they decide to either, you know, go uh, do nothing, you know, work at Starbucks or, or go back to community college and get a trade. But now you're five, six years later and $100,000 in debt. <laughs> I think some of this has a lot to do with the parents to begin with. And I think you pointed that out a moment ago. I think the parents have to understand that, you know, it's great. You, you want the kid to go to college and, you, you know, first, first generation, second generation, uh, but you want them to get a college degree, but then there may not be a job. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going to, uh, you know, becoming an underwater welder pays $150,000 a year plus health care, which you need, and for a 401k, uh, and you don't have a hundred or $200,000 debt to be paid to uh, your university. Another so, article I just read said that 30 to 50% of university graduates, uh, uh, some months, three months, something like that after graduation, are either unemployed or in jobs that do not require the degree. Right. Right. And you know, in contrast, almost anybody who's coming out of an apprenticeship or has, has good has developed good skills at community college, whatever you in tool making, welding, there's there's people like I, I, I used to work with uh, I think it's Rankin, a uh, very good community college up in uh, Minneapolis. And I, uh, I, I had the opportunity to address the uh, Department of Labor on this. And and I got statistics that said, that with, uh, let's say, 20 kids graduating each year, they had 75 companies bidding to, 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 to hire the kids, you know, so in comparison to the, the, the social worker and the, you know, whatever coming out of right. university. So, so just, it's just a black and white better choice that hopefully those who are listening will take the message to, to their community and their family. Well, I think that... Uh... Uh, obviously, reshoring is a, a major plus for this country, but it's not just reshoring in itself. There's a, 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 a puzzle of, sol of solutions and problems that have to fit with that. 
and uh, to make the whole system work better than it has been. Yeah, and skilled skilled workforce, obviously, I believe is number one. No, yeah. we, we believe that number number two is uh, get the U.S. dollar down by you know twenty or thirty percent. Economists consistently agree the dollar is overvalued because we're the reserve currency. So 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 right now the expressed in dollars, let's say this is the wage difference between U.S. and say China, and but if the dollar came down by thirty percent then the wage difference would be about like that expressed in dollars. So if we have a choice, should we cut the pay of our workers by 30 percent or, or should we cut the dollar so that so that their their living standards <clears throat> about the same, but all of a sudden their company, their factories here are comp- much more competitive with the rest of the world. To me, that's the obvious solution. But to get to get the government to do it is hard because everybody we've got a strong dollar and we're going to keep a strong dollar kind of right 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 and i don't want to talk to you i don't want to talk to you and you don't want to talk to me speaking of air force like you were before i just wanted to show off my manufacturing is cool okay which lou earned one and uh i do i i'm not wearing it under this uh yellow jacket of mine because it would cover my it would not Expose my yellow jacket. I even have a yellow pen. <laughs> so, Harry, it's always great talking to you. Do you have any parting words for us? Uh, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if I mentioned it or not, but your companies out there, OEMs, you think you think maybe you should take care of you know, sourcing back here to be protected from the direct disruptions out there, and you can't decide how to get started. Info at reshorenow.org. Uh, contract manufacturers, people like Lou's company, you'd like to convince your um, customers, you know, to bring back the work they used to get from you and, and have you do it again. We've got the arguments, we've got the data, we've got the tools, info at reshorenow.org. Uh, love anybody who has reshored successfully, if they haven't reported it yet, if there haven't been any articles, come to us, we'll, we'll work with you, document it, and we'll send you a Manufacturing's cool T-shirt, uh, made in the U.S. out of U.S. cotton. You made me beg for that T-shirt. No, no and I've, now you're giving it away. I've insisted from the beginning that you send me a case of real reshoring. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't. That's not begging. That that's earning. Ah, uh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> Harry, it's always great. Uh, I, I understand. Uh, parting words. I understand that you're going to. Uh, England this week? No, not to England. I'm, I'm going to South Bend, Indiana. To oh, Notre oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Notre I, Dame. I'm giving a lecture at Notre Dame University on, on globalization and, and how a, and specifically how a strong reshoring program will strengthen the U.S. and keep the U.S. on top relative to the challenge presented by China. You tell them how to do it, Harry. Everybody <laughs> loves you. Thank you. Thank you much. Thank you, Lou. Bye, everybody. Bye, bye. Okay, everybody. Uh, that's that's a wrap for today. I just want to mention a couple of things to you about uh, our shows and what we have coming up. Uh, naturally, we have our manufacturing talk radio every week. Uh, we have women in manufacturing. We have uh, Chris Keel on the fl- uh, flagship uh, reports. Uh, he's a key PhD doctor who probably paid off his college tuition by now. 
who puts out a great report about what's going on in other countries around the world. Uh, we all, I, just, I also like to mention about manufacturing outlook easing, uh, which uh, you can go online and uh, sign up for a free subscription. Uh, it's really a high class slick intellectual document that uh, we've been putting out now for a number of years. And uh, we'll come back and see you uh, whenever the next time is. <laughs> I wish you all goodbye, Harry. Yep. Bye, love. It's been fun Take as care. well. Bye bye now. I'm just wild about Harry, and Harry's wild about me. The heavenly blisses of the. This podcast is a part of the C Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.